Go we'll turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 17 and verse 16. Paul had a vision of a Macedonian calling him to share the gospel with him, so they crossed over from Asia Minor and came to Philippi, uh, spent a night in jail there, went on to Thessalonica. Uh, many were won to Christ in both places, then on to Berea. He found persecution in every place, and he finally moves on to the Athens, uh, the capital city of Greece, and uh, that's what we'll be looking at today. From the beginning, sin is due to certain basic thoughts and actions, or even a lack of thoughts and actions. In the garden, Adam and Eve sinned against God. Many people have thought about it. What was their sin? Why did they sin? Uh, in many ways, their sin was uh, much more than eating a piece of fruit. Uh, it was a sin of disobedience that they've been commanded not to, and they disobeyed and ate it anyway. There's the sin of not believing what God said. He said this would happen, but they didn't believe it would. There's the sin of rebellion and arrogance. We want to be like God in every way. So all these things were in play, but perhaps rarely thought about is the truth that Adam and Eve sinned because they were ungrateful. They were ungrateful, as it were. They had so much to thank God for. They were given life. They were not only given life, they were made in the image of God, not created a rock or a fish or a bird or a bear. They were created in God's image. They were given each other to complement each other and complete one another. God says it's not good for the man to be alone. It's not in the Bible, but I heard that there was a conversation between Adam and God, and Adam was saying, God, you made Eve so beautiful. Why did you make her so beautiful? God said, Adam, that was so that you would love her. And Adam said, God, you, you, you made Eve so, so curvy and soft. Why did you do that? And he says, Adam, that was so that you'd love her. And Adam said, God, she's so stupid. Why'd you make her so stupid? And God says, that was so that she would love you, Adam, as it goes. There's how it goes. It's not good for the man to be alone. They were given the Garden of Eden. They were given every fruit to eat in the Garden of Eden except one. They were given abundance. I don't know how else you'd conclude except they were ungrateful for all that happening to them. A lack of gratitude results in a downward spiral into sin. Let's look here in Acts 17 and verse 16. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he had other workers they hadn't caught up with him yet. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to dispute with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. A lack of gratitude leaves people inventing their own gods for themselves. The word translated gods in this passage is not the normal Greek word for gods, but it's a word for demons. Demonic spirits. 
superpowers to protect, to save, to intervene in the world, but also superpowers that can cause a lot of evil. He seems to be advocating foreign gods, demonic spirits, they said. Other gods, other ideas. And it talks about philosophies that they held besides the truth of the Bible. It says there were Epicureans and Stoics. Epicureans were those who believed that all matter, matter all physical things, is evil in itself from being matter and physical, and that the spiritual, the invisible, is good. That's not Bible. God created all things, and He saw that they were very good. Very good. Their beliefs were similar to Hinduism, that there's this spiritual world spirit, but there's no personal God, and that all physical and matter are evil. And because of this, Epicureans had two branches of thought. One was, since all this solid matter is evil, you must punish the physical, fast, deny yourself pleasure, instead climb into your mind, meditate on something, escape into your thoughts, climb into your mind, and just disappear there. And don't worry about this physical, material world. The other realm of thought was, since uh, the physical is already evil and completely evil, it doesn't matter what you do in the physical, because it's evil anyway. So indulge the physical. And so, uh, eat whatever you want. Live it up. That's where we get the phrase, if you got a gourmet dinner, somebody might describe that as an Epicurean delight. Because you're indulging the physical with that food. Indulge the physical in sexual immorality and drunkenness and drugs. And, all, and it leads to no thankfulness. You just grab and take and use an experience. And who cares about thanking anybody? There were the Epicureans... Then there were the Stoics also. And they also did not believe in a personal God, but thought that all the world was God like the Hindus do. But they believed in logic and reason. And, and they didn't have a problem with the physical, material world. And in some ways, they thought this is really what counts. This is what matters most of all. They might be similar to maybe modern evolutionists that we're only a collection of molecules here today, gone tomorrow, we cease to exist, there's no one we answer to, and uh, you, instead you just need to use your logic and reason to come up with a virtuous life, a virtuous life. And when life throws you terrible things, you just stand there and take it in all your virtue and goodness of yourself. So the Stoic shows his toughness by standing on his two feet and taking bad times. Kind of hit me with your best shot attitude, and I'll show you that I won't bend and I won't break, that I'm tough. And there's no thankfulness there because anyone who believes that believes they're doing it on their own anyway. I'm standing on my own. I can take it. If you pick your own gods, what's the result? Keep your place in Acts chapter 17, but a few pages to the right in Romans chapter 1, it talks about what happens when there's a lack of thankfulness. In Romans chapter 1, verse 21, it says, For although they knew God... They neither glorified Him as God, nor gave thanks to Him. Alright, we know there's a God out there somewhere, but we're not going to th glorify Him. We're not going to thank Him about anything. But in their thinking, they became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, we're great philosophers, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God 
for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Paul went through Athens and he saw all these gods, all these statues, all these altars, and it bothered him greatly. Therefore, it says, God gave them over to the sinful desires of their hearts, to sexual impurity, for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lust. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. The same way the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in, them, in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, He gave them over to a depraved mind to do what might not, what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanders, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Paul is right there in the middle of pagan world in Athens, of the Epicureans, the Stoics, gods and statues and altars everywhere because of a simple fact that they were unwilling to give God thanks for what He's done for them. Even as Adam and Eve, given everything they could need in abundance, were ungrateful and wanted more. Want more. You pick your own gods, then what's the result? No thankfulness, because you did it all on your own. It goes on in Acts chapter 17 and verse 19 to say, Then they took Paul and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we want to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. When you pick your own gods, what's the result? You're not thankful. But if you pick your own gods, what's the result? You can never be sure. You can never be sure. You're always seeking. Always doubting. Always looking for a new idea. Always looking for a novel thought. As 2 Timothy 3.7 says, Paul says, these are people that never come to a knowledge of the truth. They, don't, they, they won't get there because they've decided not to. They just want to look for something new. In verse 22, Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at the objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. Now what you worship as something unknown, I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything is it, in it 
is the Lord of heaven and earth, and does not live in temples built by hands, and he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything, because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he determined the times set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek Him and perhaps reach out for Him and find Him, though He is not far from each one of us. For in Him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are His offspring. Paul displays a biblical worldview here. He says, God's not everything. God's not in the imaginations of your minds. God's not in these statues and temples and altars that you have in abundance in the city of Athens. He says there's one God and He made all things. And He's a perfect God who doesn't need something from us to make Him complete. He's already complete, perfect, righteous, holy. And He goes on with the biblical worldview. All people are descended from one man, Adam and Eve. And God desires that we should seek Him. And He's willing to be found. Jesus said, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. The prophet Jeremiah wrote in chapter 29, he says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. With all of your heart. Verse 28, he said, uh, Man, I lost it already. Verse 28. In Him we live and move as some of your own people have said. We are His offspring. Verse 29. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made in man's design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now He commands all people everywhere to repent. For He has set a day when He will judge the world in justice with justice by the man He has appointed. He has given proof of this to all men by raising Him from the dead. God, Paul does not go into an emotional plea with these people. He doesn't go into some emotional plea. Say, oh, you guys, you know how much God loves you. It's not there. It's not there. You know how Jesus died for you? How He offers a free gift of forgiveness? That is all true. But Paul tells them what they really need to hear. God commands all people everywhere to repent. To repent. Turn from your evil actions. Turn from making your own gods. Turn from your self-centered philosophies. Give thanks to the God who made you. Glorify Him, for there is no other. Verse 31, he said there again, he's given proof of this by raising Him from the dead. He said a day when He will judge the world with justice by the man He appointed. And He's given proof of this to all by raising Him from the dead. He told, tells them what they need to hear. 
Jesus rose from the dead. Hey guys, Epicureans, Stoics, rich people, poor people, philosophers, wise in your own eyes, I want to tell you the day of judgment is coming. Judgment day is coming. How many people console themselves by thinking or saying to themselves, God has no right to call me to account for my life? How many people comfort themselves by saying, you know, you live and you die and that's all there is. There's nothing more. I'm not worried about judgment. I've heard people like that. I'm just going to die and that's it. How many people live their lives thinking, I'm a good person. I haven't done much that's illegal. What would I be judged for? But the one risen from the dead has been appointed to judge the world with justice. Yes, God so loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For Next verse says, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. But once He died in your place, once Jesus paid the penalty in full, once Jesus did all that, the truth is there is absolutely nothing more God can do for you. That's it. What more can He do? You either accept it or reject it. There's full forgiveness offer. Freely. Take it for free. How do you receive it for free? By faith in Jesus Christ. Once Jesus took your sins and His body to the cross and rose from the dead, you either accept it or reject it. And the only thing left is that Jesus now is the one who will judge with justice all people. Jesus Himself said, all judgment has been entrusted to the Son. That's me, guys. I'm the one who holds judgment in His hands. Peter said, Jesus is the one whom God appointed to judge the living and the dead. Acts chapter 10, verse 42. He, he died for our sins, rose from the dead. Now He's been appointed as judge of the living and the dead. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5.10 and says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Jesus Christ. Of Jesus Christ. We must appear. Not might appear. We must appear before the judgment seat of Jesus Christ. And then the last part, in Acts 17, verse 32. <laughs> when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered. But others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. A few men became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. And a number of others. Again, some accepted, some rejected. Those that rejected Paul sneered at him. They showed downright contempt and hate for what he had to say. And he was not the only one sneered at. Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. You will either love one and despise the other or hate one and be devoted to the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And right after that, it says the Pharisees who were lovers of money sneered at Jesus. You're nuts, they thought. And when Jesus hung on the cross, the rulers of the people came by and they sneered at him treating him as a contemptible person. Many are told 
that Jesus died on a cross for their sins and rose on the third day that they might be forgiven and saved. And they only sneer at the thought. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him. Instead, sneered at Him. Some accepted. Some believed. If you believe, then that leads to a thankful life. Number one, I believe, is so important. A thankful life. To be thankful for God. Thankful to God that He created you and gave you life. You didn't do that for yourself. And in another sense, your parents didn't even do that for yourself. God made it happen. He gave you life. To be thankful to God that you've been made in His image instead of just a plain animal running around out there. To be thankful to God that He loved you even while you were unworthy, even while you were a sinner, even while you were His enemy. God demonstrates His love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's a lot to be thankful for. To be thankful about being born again. I'm not who I was. I'm not who I'll be one day, but I know I'm not who I was. I've been born again in Jesus Christ. To be thankful that you have His Holy Spirit living within you who will never leave you or forsake you, but be with you always to the very close of this age, to the very close of your life. To be thankful that you've been given eternal life, that He's gone to prepare a home in heaven for you in His presence. How can you not be thankful for stuff like that? That's like being Adam and Eve in the garden saying, well, that's nice, that's nice, that's nice, but I want more. What more do you need? When it comes to prayer, if you find trouble, thinking of something to pray about, first thing you ought to consider is maybe I'm not that thankful. Because if you're thankful for what God has done for you, that's an easy prayer to make. First thing in the morning, throughout the day, in the evening, before you go to bed, that's an easy prayer to make. Thankful to God that He'll never leave us or abandon us. That no one can snatch us out of His hands. To be thankful to God for each new day of life to live. To be thankful for, to God for the food on your table, for the clothes you wear, for the work that you have, for the rest that you take. The Bible puts it this way in 1 Thessalonians 5.16. It says, Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in every circumstance, for that is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. What God has done is a reason to rejoice, to pray, and to thank all the time. Colossians 3.15 says, Be thankful. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. Gratitude in your hearts to God. Come to the Thanksgiving season and what an opportunity to remind ourselves to fan the flames in our own hearts and our own minds to be thankful. To be thankful to God for what He's done for us. But if we're thankful to God, there's a place there also of being thankful to others and to make it known. I was taught my manners growing up. I was taught good manners. Good manners is if somebody hands you something 
you say thank you. It might be a clump of mud, but you oh, they handed it to me, thank you. I always thought good manners when somebody hands you something to say thank you, but that was it. My education went no farther than that. That's good manners, but there's so much more to be thankful for. To have a heart full of thankfulness, to have an attitude of gratitude, it should spill out verbally for many things. A lack of gratitude, though, a lack of thanks, why is that? For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him. Why is that? They did not give thanks to Him. A lack of gratitude, a lack of thanks, is due to how we think. And in fact, the English words think and thank come from the same root. To be thankful is to think the right things. If you think the wrong things, you're thinking, I've accomplished everything on my own. Like the Stoics. I've accomplished everything on my own. I, I owe it all to me. I owe it all to me. So why? I don't owe anyone anything. If you have that kind of hard attitude, well, of course you're not going to be thankful. You're thinking wrong. You're thinking wrong. Or it's due to the thinking, not that I've done everything, but it's due to the thinking that everything is owed to me. I deserve this. They ought to do that. It's owed to me. My God owes me. My parents owe me. My boss owes me. My workers owe me. The teacher owes me. My friend owes me. The government owes me. To have that kind of thought pattern, you don't have to thank anybody because it's owed to you. What kind of thinking leads to a thankful attitude to be thankful to others? Just have your eyes open to see what other people do for you. What other people do for you. At a very basic level, who prepared your meal? I don't think I, growing up, I've never, I don't, growing up in my house with four siblings and a father, I never remember once growing up any, any of us six people ever saying thank you, Mom, for a meal. Because if, if she'd handed it to us, but, oh, thank you, you know, that's good manners. But I, to sit there, Mom, thanks for making that meal for us. Had, had the wrong thinking. Well, of course she made the meal. That's what she does. Owed to us. No. To see what others do for you. To say thank you. To have clothes. To have work. To be taught in school. To have things provided for you. To have people help you. To have people give time of their time to you. To make up your mind. Make up your thinking. To say, hey, I want to thank people. And I want to do it out loud. I want them to hear me. Say thank you. I've gotten so bad that I'll be in a fast food restaurant. I want to. I want to thank somebody. You know, thanks for making that food for me. To be thankful to others, it's a change of thinking. What the, God commands all people to repent. 
everywhere. All people everywhere to repent. The Greek word for repentance means a change of mind. Change your way of thinking. To believe in God. To know how sinful sin is. And to have a change of mind. To be thankful. To be thankful. Adam and Eve had so much to be thankful for, but they weren't. Romans 1.21 says, For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him. That's, that's our condition from birth. We know there is a God, but we don't glorify Him and thank Him. Too often that describes you and me. But we have a good God. Amen. We have a good God. Jesus even said He's kind to the ungrateful and wicked. While we were ungrateful and wicked, God was kind to us and sent His Son, Jesus. Are you saved? Jesus in your heart, forgiven the Holy Spirit within? Make this your goal, to have your eyes open, to see all the things God has done for you. To be thankful in your heart and to speak those words of thanks out loud in praise to God. Save, forgiven the Holy Spirit within. Make this your goal to have your eyes open to see what others do for you. And to be thankful in your heart, your mind, but to be thankful with your mouth and make it known to others.